Brilliant. We've been in a series as a church uh, called Jesus, Con or King, and we're moving our way fairly slowly, but at a good pace, uh, through the Gospel of Mark, which you'll find uh, in the Bible, just kind of in the, in the second half. It's also called the New Testament, actually quite a bit more than halfway through. But there are four, four letters in there, four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that really hone in on the life of Jesus. And we're looking at Mark, which is the shortest one, and we're trying to answer this question, who, who, who is Jesus Was he who he said he was? Was he this promised king who had finally arrived? Or was he a bit of a con man? Did he kind of pull tricks on people? Or maybe he wasn't a con man himself, but maybe his early followers made him out to be somebody that he actually wasn't. And what's recorded in the Bible that we have today is actually just more legend, more fiction than reality. So we're, we're looking at that question as we move through this series. This morning's going to be a little bit different on this because we're actually going to be looking at uh, the prayer life of Jesus. And, and more specifically than that, the first time that we read in Mark's Gospel about Jesus is going off and praying and and why did he pray and why do we pray if we pray you know if Jesus was this king this promised king uh, that was sent by God the true son of God well his prayer life then was about him spending time with his heavenly father again is that something that we can read in the gospels and trust that this is actually the case or is this really just legend and really fictional? I think if we look at a bit of the prayer life of Jesus, it will answer some of those questions. So to do that, this morning we're going to be in Mark. We're still in Mark chapter 1. Uh, fairly soon, in the next couple of weeks, we will be towards the end of chapter 1 and into chapter 2. So eight weeks in chapter 1 so far. But um, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm, I'm loving the pace that we're going at so far on this because I think we're able to pull quite a bit out of it. And I've been really grateful for that. But this morning, we're in Mark chapter 1, and when I'm going to start reading from verse 35, and I'll just read uh, to 39, so just four verses this morning, and it says this, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, being Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Let me just say quickly that going through and casting out demons. That was last Sunday. Last week was our demon topic Sunday. So if you missed that one and you want to know what is going on there, get onto the website and listen to that talk. This morning I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on Jesus going out to this place and praying. Uh, So just to start us off on that, I'm going to pray right now because I so want God's help as I uh, take us through this this morning. So Heavenly Father, I I thank you that I can even call you Father this morning. God, thank you that that you uh, welcome me, that you welcome us as as your children. And uh, God, knowing that you are not just Father, but that you are a good Father, I believe that in my heart, that you are a good Father, I pray that you would help me this morning as uh, I take us through these verses from Mark. Uh, Speak to us, Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would speak to me and each one here about Jesus, about what he has done uh, for us and the love that you have shown us through him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Something that uh, is interesting, around the end of every calendar year, you can start in the media uh, seeing some stories that come out of kind of year-in-review type stories. And I think one of the really interesting ones is what is happening on social media. I came across uh, a few days ago something that was written towards the end of last year, kind of late November, early December last year, about last year's 
top uh, kind of Twitter trends, uh, hashtag trends. And uh, you might remember uh, last year with the attacks that happened uh, in Paris, that that was, uh, that was a huge thing that, that, that took place. And uh, there was a lot of uh, kind of hashtag mention of pray for Paris that came through. Even more recently with Orlando, uh, the uh, hashtag pray for Orlando was quite a big thing as well that moved around online. It seems like when any major world event happens that way, that the social media world really picks up on this and you see these pray for and then whatever the city is or whatever the event might be starting to move around and and even going viral. Now I want to start us off with a very basic question this morning and simply this, why should we? Why when there's something that moves around on Twitter or on Facebook or Instagram or anything like that and it says hashtag pray for dot dot dot, why? Why should we do that? Because largely in our culture, in Western culture, we've rejected the place of prayer. For many people, they would view prayer as, as even what I just did a couple minutes ago, as just talking into thin air. Or if I wasn't doing it into a microphone or around other people that could hear me, if I prayed in my head, some people would say, well, you're, you're, you're messed up in your head if you're doing that. You're, ta- you're talking to nothing. So wh- why do that? But then it's interesting when a major world event happens, Tens of thousands of people, millions of people say, pray for, pray for, pray for. And it's probably because we feel quite helpless in those moments. We want to feel as though there's something that we can do. But my point is this, is that in our culture, we can actually be quite manipulative with prayer. We will, we will draw on prayer. We will go to prayer when it suits our purposes. Is that the way that prayer is really supposed to be? Is that the way that it's supposed to work? Is it kind of this button that we should just push every once in a while when we feel like it suits our purposes or when we want to feel as though we're able to contribute something? Oh, I'll I'll, I'll play the prayer card. Or is prayer meant to be something greater than that? Is it meant to be something that's not superficial like that, but something that is actually uh, something of substance and something of meaning? We're going to look in a few minutes at at Jesus going out to a quiet place, to a desolate place uh, to pray. But before I look into that, I want to talk briefly about why for us prayer has become hard. Why is it become something that we can sometimes use to just fit our own circumstances. And I'm not just talking here about people that might not have a relationship with Jesus. Even for people, even in this room, even myself, sometimes I find I just struggle to pray. Sometimes I just don't want to. It's just, it's just a real battle. What's happened there? What, what has happened to this line of communication you know, with God? You know, If He even exists and He wants us to be in relationship with Him and to talk to Him, why is it so hard? There's an interesting story that, that, that was in the news uh, a long, long time ago, a lot longer ago than the Twitter thing that I was mentioning a few minutes ago. Uh, but it was about another type of communication around 100 years ago. At that time, if you made an international phone call or you sent a telegraph or anything like that, it would go through these um, undersea cables. And actually, uh, the internet still largely today runs, if you, you know, if you ever Skype or go on FaceTime with a friend uh, in the UK or in Europe or, or, or anywhere like that, believe it or not, it actually runs through these cables, these fiber optic cables that run along the ocean floor thousands of miles long. And what was happening uh, way back then, this is before there were fiber optic cables, but they were finding that some of these lines of communication were getting cut and they couldn't figure out why they were getting cut. So they would send out uh, these boats and they would pull up. I mean, imagine going out for hundreds, maybe even thousands of miles out in the middle of the Atlantic and you're on this boat and you're pulling up this communications cable and when they pulled it up, what they actually realized is some of these cables for some strange reason, they were being eaten by sharks. 
They were actually being eaten by sharks. Sharks just had a taste for these cables. So the, uh, the people that worked for the communications companies thought, well, we, we might as well try to make the best of a bad situation and at least give the information to marine biologists so they can figure out about the, the eating habits of these sharks. But they were really frustrated because it was costing them lots and lots of money. And you know, with us, with our line of communication with God, something has come in and has attacked it. You read in Genesis, in the early pages of Genesis, that in that case it wasn't a shark, but there's actually a snake. It's another animal that shows up and it gives this attack and kind of says, did God really say, you know, God said this to you. God said that he'd place you in this garden, Adam and Eve, and it, the whole thing is yours and enjoy all of it, but he gave you one command. But do, but do you really think that he's for you? Did God really say, did God really really say, and he kind of attacks God's word. And the line of communication, they fall for that line, the line of communication gets attacked, and it gets cut. But this book is a book about God's um, commitment, God's desire, unwavering desire to restore that line of communication at whatever cost. For the communication company a hundred years ago, it was thousands of dollars for God to, rec- to restore that line of communication. It cost him much, much more than that. It actually cost him his own son. So we have a breakdown in communications. We struggle when it comes to prayer. Even if we're here this morning and you know that you've got a relationship with Jesus, you know that in terms of your relationship with God, that God accepts you because of Jesus Christ. The song that we sang a a few moments ago really making a lot of reference to that about Jesus having His bride. And if you're here this morning and you're part of the church, and I don't necessarily just mean Grace City Church, but the church, you know, the worldwide community, family of people that say that Jesus is Lord. If you're part of the church, then you are part of the bride of Christ, But even if you're part of the bride, still, even though you know in your head, maybe you know in your theology that that line of communication has been restored, still it just doesn't feel that way sometimes. Sometimes I can be on my iPhone and I can have a phone call with somebody and I know that, you know, I know that the link's there, but I look and, oh, it's down to kind of one bar and there's some static on the line or the call drops or there's some sort of interruption that way. It feels that way with God sometimes, doesn't it? Even if you're here and you're a Christian... It's not just as simple as, well, I know I'm accepted because of Jesus, and now my prayer life is great, and it's easy. It just doesn't really seem to work that way. There's a book uh, that I'm going to make reference to twice uh, during this talk, and uh, with that said, we've added a page to the website, gracecity.ca forward slash books, um, and there are two book recommendations there right now, not because we only think two books are worth reading, uh, but as we grow as a church, we will add to that page as well. But the book is called A Praying Life. A Praying Life. And uh, the author of that book, uh, Paul Miller, says this. He describes this situation about uh, you as a Christian, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, going to see a prayer therapist. And, and, and the prayer therapist saying, tell me about you know, your relationship with your Heavenly Father. And, and you go and you start talking about how, well, I know I'm accepted because of Jesus. I know I'm adopted into God's family because of Jesus. I'm, I'm a son or I'm a daughter of God. I know, I know that He loves me because of what Jesus has done and I'm covered in His righteousness and his record and and you describe all this stuff but then the therapist says this the therapist smiles and says now tell me what it's like for you to be with your father what's it like to talk to him you cautiously tell the therapist how difficult it is to be in your father's presence even for a couple minutes your mind wanders you aren't sure what to say you wander you wonder does prayer make a difference is God even there then you feel guilty for your doubts and you just give up Your therapist tells you what you already suspect. 
Your relationship with your Heavenly Father is dysfunctional. You talk as if you have an intimate relationship, but you don't. Theoretically, it is close. Practically, it is distant. You need help. Friends, we need to acknowledge, and this applies to everybody in the room, Christian or non-Christian in the room this morning, we need help talking to God. We need help being with God. And we should be very, very encouraged because in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Paul says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We need to know that God, even in our prayer lives, God has not left us on our own. Even in those moments, if you're here and you say that you have a relationship with Jesus and you try to pray and you just, Oh God, I just don't know what to say. I just hate this. Time just seems to stand still. I tried to get up early, but then I just kept sleeping, or I tried to set this time out and it just didn't work. I just don't know how to do this. Even in those moments, even in your weakness, the Holy Spirit of God is helping you, is praying on your behalf. God knows your heart. He's not left you on your own. God is so gracious that even in those moments, especially in those moments, God's help and God's hand is near in the presence of His Holy Spirit. But even still, we do need to acknowledge that we do need help. We don't often pray like God is our Father. We put on this strange tone or this strange language. We don't come as we are. We come often. And I know I can do this myself. Instead of coming as I am, I often come as I want to be. I come and I talk in a certain way. I try to use a few more words that I might not use in conversation with with you guys as my friends. Or I try to put on a bit of a show for God so that He'll bless me, so that He'll show favor to me. No wonder my prayer life, no wonder our prayer life can sometimes be such a drag. No wonder we don't look forward to it because sometimes in our prayer life we're not comfortable in, in our own skin. We don't actually know who we are in those moments. No wonder it can be difficult. Now, what about Jesus? What about Jesus' prayer life? Well, Jesus' prayer life was very, very different. We read in verse 35 of Mark chapter 1 that Jesus rose early and went out to pray. Jesus rose early, rising very early in the morning. While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place And there he prayed. We can hear that word desolate and we can kind of think of something we covered a few weeks ago of kind of that thing of Jesus in the desert again. And you might think of yourself in in, in desolate type situations. That's not what, what Mark's referring to here. What he just means is a quiet place, a place away from distractions. A place where there was no, the, the, the phone wasn't ringing, the disciples weren't tapping him on the shoulder, saying, hey, can we ask you this, and what about that? He went out and he went to a quiet place, and there he prayed. See, for the Christian, it can be so easy for us to treat prayer like a box-ticking exercise, like we have to do it, or God will be upset with us. You know, kind of like a reformed criminal. Might be free, he might have been let out of jail, but still every once in a while has to check in with the parole officer. Sometimes our prayer lives can feel that way. I know I've been freed. I know, I know I'm free to go and to get up early. I know I'm free to set time aside and to have time with God, but then when you actually do it, it still feels like, well, but God, God requires of me that I check in with him every once in a while. You know, just so that I can tell him that he's holy and God, thank you for this and can I please have that? But it's really just a box ticking exercise. But for Jesus, it wasn't like that. For Jesus, time with his Father was something that was cherished. It was something that was cherished by Jesus and cherished by his Heavenly Father. We know from Jesus' recorded prayers that he would often start by praying, Abba. 
At this point, many uh, Christian uh, teachers and, and, and speakers would say something like, Abba means daddy. It actually doesn't mean daddy in its strictest terms, but it's pointing sort of in the right direction. What Abba is referring to is something of an, int- an intimacy of relationship between father and son. If you read in the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, Jesus still refers to his father in that prayer as holy father. Jesus still, he held this tension that sometimes that we can lose a little bit in our culture with, with, with an emphasis on, on, on daddy type praying. We can lose something of reverence. We can lose something of a sense of, of, of awe and wonder at the God of the universe. But we can fall off the horse on both sides. We can go so heavy on that side where it's just all so reverence and holy father all the time that we lose something of the intimacy that God desires of us. But at the same time, do you understand what I'm saying? We can go so far on the other extreme that we actually forget that the one that we are talking to is the God who rules and reigns over all things, who is full of might and is full of power and is for you (laughs) and is for me, full of grace and full of mercy. So strictly speaking, Abba does not equal daddy, but it does point in that direction of a level of intimacy between a loving father and a son that he cherishes. For Jesus, his prayer life was about being in that place of of, of enjoying time with his heavenly father. In John 17, in the high priestly prayer, one of the things that Jesus prayed for us is that the world would see that the father loves us as he loves Jesus. Jesus knew that he was cherished by his heavenly father. He knew it deep, deep down. And he knew it so much that he actually prayed for us that the world would see that we are cherished by our heavenly father in the same way that Jesus is cherished. This past week I had dinner uh, with a friend who was um, telling me that, that uh, he, growing up, didn't have a relationship with his father. His father actually passed away at, when he was at a very, very early age. And a little bit later on in the evening, he was asking me about my family and, and, and about why the move to Ottawa and, and even Ontario. And I remember telling him that on one of my trips uh, to Ottawa, we actually went through Montreal with my dad because my dad grew up in Montreal. My dad used to take me to Expos games in Montreal. Uh, the Montreal Expos, may they rest in peace. I hope they do come come back um, from, uh, from wherever they are, Washington now, I think. It would be great if there was another baseball team there. But I really, really cherish those memories with my dad of going to Olympic Stadium, you know, this huge stadium built for the 1976 Summer Games. And my dad would take me there. We didn't have a lot of money. We sat really, really high up. I remember the yellow seats. I remember as a kid walking out through this little, uh, I don't know what you call it, like this little runway between the sections and looking out. And for me as a kid growing up in Fredericton, that, I felt like you could fit everybody in the world in Olympic Stadium. It was just massive. But my dad would take me there and we'd buy a little bit of food and we'd, we'd, we'd sit up pretty high. I think the tickets were like seven or eight bucks back then. And we'd watch this baseball game. And it, like, I cherish that memory. I remember there was tw- twice my dad took me to those baseball games. I cherish that to the point where I was in here in Common this week prepping this talk and, and remembered that. And uh, I, I sent my dad a text. I just said, Dad, thanks for taking me to those baseball games when I was a kid in Montreal. He was so sweet. He replied. He said, hey, he said that was fun, wasn't it? We should go do that in Toronto. Yeah, we should go do that in Toronto. But you know what? That's a privilege. That wasn't a right that I had. Because there, and maybe uh, this is hitting close to home perhaps for some of you, uh, because not all of us have that type of experience. But when I was with my dad in that moment, the phone wasn't ringing, there weren't other people around trying to get his time. It was him and it was me. And it was the Montreal Expos, that was important. (laughs) But it was him and it was me. And I cherish that memory. For Jesus, in his 
prayer life, that time was not done out of a box ticking exercise. It was not, well, my dad wants me to spend time with me, so I better go and spend some time with him to keep him happy. He cherished it. He cherished it like a kid going to a baseball game with his dad. He cherished it. That's where life was. That's where joy was. That's where contentment was, was simply in having time with him. See, God wants us to approach him as we are. And further than that, God wants us to approach him as children. Not coming in, trying to put on some sort of, a, sort of adult kind of presentation of, of, you know, I've got my life sorted and I've got this job and I've got this and that sort of thing going on. So God, you should be very impressed with me. He wants us to come to him as children. That's actually something that is praised in Scripture. Jesus is saying that. He says, he says, let the children come to me. There's a time when these children are going and trying to be around Jesus and the disciples are holding them back. Jesus is saying, no, let them come to me. The kingdom of God is for children like this. And there's a lesson in that for us. He's not just making a comment about the age of, of, of the people that were around him, but there's something about coming with faith like a child and just coming as you are. Have you ever heard a child pray? Those of you that are parents in this room, you've, maybe some of you have heard children pray. Let me tell you a little bit about, about pre-bed prayers in our house. Uh, so Zara Grace is two and a half, kind of coming up on three in February. We pray with her every evening, pray with Joshua every evening before they go to bed. And it usually starts off like this, Zara Grace, what would you like to thank Jesus for? And her answer always starts with, mm, mm. Zara Grace, what do you want to thank Jesus for tonight? Mm, chocolate cake. Okay. Jesus, thank you for chocolate cake and for the food that you provide us. Zara, is there anything else you would like to thank Jesus for? Mm, chocolate cake. <laughs> okay, this is cool. Now, here's the thing. Zara's only had chocolate cake once in her life. All right, and it was quite a few months ago. This memory has really stuck with her. But it's either chocolate cake on occasion. is Zara, what would you like to thank Jesus for as we pray? Mm, Paw Patrol. It's either chocolate cake or Paw Patrol pretty much every time with them. Zara, would you like to thank Jesus for your baby brother, Joshua? Mm, chocolate cake. <laughs> Definitely wins over praying for Joshua right now. She comes as she is. She's not trying to impress me. She's not trying... Well, Daddy would really like it if I said, Jesus, please, please be with my little brother who I love so much. That's just not on her mind yet. <laughs> I, I hope someday. Maybe it will be. But you know what happens sometimes as well? Zara, let's pray before we go to bed. And sometimes she'll be watching TV before she goes to bed. Zara, let's, okay, let's turn the TV off. Let's, let's pray before you go to bed. No pray. No, no, Zara, we need to turn the TV. No pray. And this thing rises up and says, what is the wickedness in my child? What is this? Where does her hatred of God come from? What is going on? What have I done wrong in my parenting? My parenting is just crashing and burning. What is going on? And then it hits me. I am the exact same way. I have these moments in my life where God lets me down or disappoints me. For her, it's telling her to turn the TV off. For me, it's something I've been asking him for for weeks, for months, and he doesn't seem to be giving it to me. So what do I do? No pray. No pray. God, forget you. You're clearly not answering my prayers, so forget you for a bit. Where has she learned it from? She's learned it from her father, from her earthly father. We can be like this, can't we? You know what? That is the way that God wants us to come to Him. I had a conversation with somebody in this room two or three weeks ago that was telling me about a couple of things that they're walking in their life right now. And they're saying, 
just prayer right now, just a real struggle. Just, and I'm being honest with God about that. Just saying, look, you know what? Right now, this is really not working really well. I'm really struggling with that. And I was so glad that this person was that honest with me about it and was being that honest with God. Because I know in myself, I can mask it. I can come and just go... God, I might be struggling a little bit right now, but I know that you're holy and I know that you're trustworthy. And just start repeating this stuff that I don't actually believe deep down. I'm just kind of firing off these theological lines, trying to impress him so that he'll finally do the thing that I want him to do. I had this moment where I was going, I need to really learn from this person because it's just coming saying, God, I'm frustrated with you right now. And there's nothing else really that follows that. God wants us to come to Him like that, as children, as we are. Not as we want to be, but as we are. Friends, that is how the gospel works. That's how the good news of Jesus works. God meets you where you are. And we can hear this thing of, you know, because of Jesus, God accepts you as you are. That's a different thing. God meets us where we are, but He loves us too much to leave us that way. He accepts us because of Jesus. If he accepted me based on my record, he would not be a holy God. He would not be a God of justice. He accepts me because of the record of Jesus Christ that I enter into by faith. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And that means that I can come totally as I am. I don't have to worry about putting on any sort of show for him. I can come as a child with all of my childlike frustrations, all of my childlike disappointments, all of my childlike weariness, all of it, I can come and I can come before Him and say, God, I'm tired, I'm disappointed, I'm frustrated. And I can even go so far as to say, God, I'm frustrated at You. I'm tired with You. I'm weary because of You. And it's just really hard right now. Amen. <laughs> That's a good prayer. And God, in His grace, meets us in that moment. And He says, my child, tell me more. How dare you speak to me like that? He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Tell me more. Let it out. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. Our prayer lives can be so dissatisfying so often. I'm just going to say it again. Because we're not even familiar with who we are when we pray. Come as you are. Come as you are with all your disappointments, weariness, frustrations. Paul Miller goes on to say this in that book I mentioned, A Praying Life. Ironically, many attempts to teach people to pray encourage the creation of a split personality. You're taught to do it right instead of the real messy you meeting God. You try to recreate yourself by becoming spiritual. No wonder prayer is so unsatisfying. So instead of being paralyzed by who you are, begin with who you are. That's how the gospel works. God begins with you as you are. It's a little scary because you're messed up. It's a great closing line. It's a little scary because you're messed up. We are. Friends, there's a big difference between spending time with a father and spending time for a father. I want to, if I can, I want to single out a few people in this room. I'm not going to do it by name, but people that are in serving roles, whether it's in worship or in preaching or in helping to set the room up or life groups or anything like that. And I know that's not all of you, but in time, many more will be in serving roles in this church. Friends, even in doing ministry, it can be so easy to step into doing, spending time for God, but in the process, missing time with God. Oh, I'm busy. I'm busy preparing a sermon. I'm busy preparing worship. I'm busy showing up to do the chairs and all of these other things. These are good. These are important things to do. But you're so busy for God, you're not taking time out just to be with Him and to enjoy Him. 
friends, even with ministry, let's be careful of that. As a church that has this vision to grow and to reach people in this city for Jesus, to raise leaders and to start churches, let's be careful of not becoming a church that is more focused on spending time for God than we are spending time with God. Let's let it be rooted in just enjoying time with our Heavenly Father. Even to the point where sometimes it might mean somebody saying, look, I've been serving a lot and I'm just not able to enjoy time with God right now. Then we'll say, look, whatever the serving role is that you're doing right now, that's not as important as you spending time with God. So whatever area that you're serving in right now, let's just shut that down for a season. Let's just shut it down for a time. That's okay. We might say that at times because we care for you. And there might be times when you might say to me, Rich... Uh, as the church, we, th- we want you to take a week or two off because you've been going really, really hard. We have directors in this church and part of their role is to look out for me, is to know how I'm doing, to know my health, my spiritual health, my emotional health. There may- I-, I hope it doesn't happen, but it might. It happens often in churches. They might say to me, Rich, you're spending more time for God than you are with God. Go and take some time with Him. That's good care. That's good pastoring. Let's be a church that holds that value tightly. Valuing time with God over time for God. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, regularly, and you can read about that in Luke 5, verse 16. Luke slips this little verse in about Jesus regularly going off to pray on His own. He regularly took time out not, to, not just to do stuff for His Heavenly Father. He took time out to be with His Heavenly Father. So let's follow His lead. I'm actually going to wrap up right there. I had another section to this talk that was about prayer being preparation for mission. But I'm not going to do that this morning. Uh, We'll press pause on that and come on to that another time. Friends, what I want us to do right now, and the worship leaders are aware of this, we're actually going to have a time right now where we're going to worship together. We're actually going to pray together. It's why we've set the seating up a little bit differently this morning. So let me explain how uh, how this is going to work over these next few minutes. Uh, The worship leader is going to come up. They're going to serve us. There will be a few songs that they will do. But coming as we are, there's going to be freedom as we sing and in between the songs just to pray out. Now, I know in a public setting like this, if you're here this morning and you're feeling huge disappointments with God or frustrations, you might not just say in front of 20 or 30 people in this room, God, I'm really angry with you right now. (laughs) You might not do that. But I want you to know that there's freedom to do that. There's total freedom to do that. Whatever you do, my encouragement to you is just come as you are this morning. Don't worry about big, deep, deep, (laughs) case in point, deep theological words. Okay? Come as you are. I want to encourage you to pray out. I do. I want to encourage you to pray out this morning. If you're here and you say you have a relationship with Jesus, at least consider. There's no pressure. There's no law. There's no rule. But please at least consider it this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can still pray. You know what? You can still pray out. It's okay. It's absolutely okay. Maybe take that step this morning for the first time. That would be wonderful. But I'll end with saying this. Rather than the question of why should we pray, I think a much better question, which would be a whole different talk, is why should God bother listening to us? See, in ourselves, there's so much... There's so much that is unholy. There's so much that is just not like God. There's so much in us that God could look at and say, you know what, I can't even be around you. But God in His grace, because of Jesus Christ, has restored that line of communication. He's made a way for us to be clothed with Jesus' perfect record, with His righteousness, which fully qualifies us to come in. So why should we pray? Because God wants us to enjoy time with Him as our Heavenly Father. 
Why should God listen to us? He listens to us because of Jesus. He listens to us because of grace. You're here this morning. You're not feeling qualified. You're not feeling like God should even bend His ear towards you. You know what? You can come this morning. And you have a right to come through Jesus Christ. That's a right that is given to you if you are in Jesus. If you've placed your faith and your trust in Him. So can we stand together? I'll invite... uh...